the role-playing hour, beneath its cracked and pustulant carapace, it is rotting from the inside. So, I was in a room full of people the other day. I looked around me. From every eye, I could see this need. Everyone has a need, right? To be loved, to be accepted. They want what they say and do to go down well, and everyone has a narrative about themselves they have invented inside their heads. As I'm frequently near a university, this is the narrative I encounter most often. A person was maybe not very fashionable, not very popular, or maybe even bullied in high school. Perhaps they were not very pretty, so they told themselves, I'm smart. I am the smart one, they said, and everything in their lives is related to reinforcing that. Of course, intelligence and what smarts can get you is only one tiny part of the human experience, but anyway, being smart becomes them. And why not? Without it, what would they have? A gradual, creeping awareness would seep in. I don't matter. I don't matter at all. If I live or die, it doesn't matter, and I will die. I will definitely die. And a black pit of nothingness rises up beneath them, and the air screams around their ears as all life is sucked into the pit. So for some people to forget the black pit and to grant themselves meaning, they have the narrative, I am smart. For another, it might be, I am a family person. For another, it might be, my television is two inches bigger than the television of my friend. All these narratives all vitally important to the well-being of the individual, and they all need to be reinforced. So, I go into a room full of people, and there is everyone needing their narratives reinforced, needing to feel special, loved, that their lives have meaning. And you can see it in every twitch of their eyes. You can hear it in every lilt of their voice, in the hang of their shoulders. You can see it, everything they do. And if they speak to me, my job is to guess that need. And to say the right thing, if I say something that confirms their narrative and makes them feel good about themselves, they'll like me. If I say the wrong thing, they won't. And while trying to guess the right, I always accidentally say the wrong, because I'm always distracted by that need, by guessing, by guessing what they want, that need reaching out towards me, uncurling its tentacles, because their need is an exact reflection of mine. It's my own need over there in the eyes of everyone else. It's the same need to be loved and to feel special, the same unanswerable need. So already, I'm exhausted, right? The neediness is overwhelming. My own need, which I deal with every day, is suddenly in the whole room. No one is getting what they want, and on top of that, then I start to see the loathing there in those needy eyes when they look at me, and I can hear the loathing in their needy voices as they say a few words to me, Probably because, you know, they looked at me, they saw a need as great as their own, so we're two of the same magnetic polarities. We're repelling each other. I'm utterly repellent. And also I see the melting flesh of people, I mean, in, in terms of age. That is really what reminds us. That's really what makes that need scream, we're gonna die, we have no time left. There is that guy's bald head with the sunspots, just like my own balding head. There's that guy's beer gut hanging over his too tight belt, just like my own ever-distending paunch. There's the scar on that guy. The guy's he's recovering from an operation. What operations are in my future? How terrifying! There's that person whose bones are slowly going soft and whose head slowly droops down from the curved neck like a turtle's skull poking out from a shell. All the decay, that is my decay. All these brief lives, they are my 
brief life, all of us can see the end coming. I say, see, but that's the thing. What is coming denies sight and thought and comprehension. It's unseeable because it allows no vision and unthinkable because it allows no thought and it is coming for me. And so death is stalking through that room, taking a little from him, taking a little from her, and taking a little from me. And there are the younger people, and some have sparks in their eyes and lithe little limbs and walk with a bounce. But they will enjoy that for, what, a a few months at most? A few countable months. I mean, 1836. We're young and grown so briefly we wait and wait for 18 years old. And then straight away we're clawing at whatever life we have, saying, No, don't take it away! I want to go back! I want to go back! A few months of adulthood, a couple of years, something creeps in, some melt, something is not like it used to be, and there's that first hint of mortality, and the spark in their eyes dims with the knowledge of it, and there's a little less bounce in their step. They who seemed so immortal, so healthy, and before they even have a chance to properly enjoy it. But the descent can't be that quick, can it, they wonder? And as they wonder, something else melts a little more, sags, falls off, goes grey, and they join the haunted march with the haunted eyes, trying to catch a glimpse of what is impossible to see, but only daring to glimpse during those moments their narratives, their personal fictions, fall down and leave them with nothing else to take up their attention when the screen falls away. So that is me in a crowded room. Being around people is oddly depressing. They say spending time on on social media is supposed to be depressing because it's socializing without socializing. But on social media, I get to say what I want, how I want, and I get to edit it. I see videos of cats, links to stories about my favorite books, and news about Batman. In short, I see only what I want to see. My fantasies are reinforced. My narrative, the images are better than the life I would likely have lived that day. Social media is much less depressing than being assaulted with people's needs. Needs which are just like my own. I must be insulated. I'm not sure where to start dissecting that, but it's not all about need, death and decay. On the plus side, when you go to see a mental health professional about the melting people, you can perhaps repeat this rant and give them a heads up on what your main issues are. I'm glad that mental health professionals have been so helpful to you, Jim. And I encourage you to continue seeing them if you find such processes personally rewarding, but accept that everyone is different. That is, I assume you are suggesting from a place of knowledge and as a friendly and helpful equal, an avenue that you know firsthand to be true and not instead pushing me into the category of other and condescending to me with standard suggestions of stuff you don't personally know much about from some self-supposed tower of perfection and know-it-all normality. Well, I haven't seen any in a while, but the ones I did see were helpful for giving a different point of view and seeing the world, which can be very helpful. But I do know that if you're too stubborn or sure that a negative failure-focused worldview is the way things really are, it's not very helpful. As you say, everyone is different. Jim, you are the most emotionally stable person I know, so if I was going to take that kind of advice from anyone, it'd be you. That said, in my limited experience with these kinds of people, these mental health professionals, they seem as fallible and as biased as most GPs. But the problem is you're handing your whole brain, your whole personality, over to them. It seems to me there's a tendency to go along with preconceived points of view and to over-medicate. I know people who have had problems with the medication that is erroneously and over-enthusiastically prescribed by them. I've known mental health professionals personally who tend to 
party-diagnose people? They're naturally fascinated by all that their field has to offer, and they see conditions everywhere. Basically, they are as human and as passionate as you or I, and that has various associated dangers. I only ever encountered mental health professionals when I was a so-called troubled teen at 13. One of them told me I'd never fall in love and never get married. Granted, I was trying to upset her at the time, but you would imagine that a mental health professional would be well-armed against the mighty barbs conceived of by a 13-year-old boy. But of course, they are very fallible. I snapped your head off a little bit, but because you know me and I know you and we know what these words of ours mean and what is under the surface, I respect what you say and I admire your path through life. You're a beautiful human being, Jim. Thanks for taking the time. I'm not actually saying that the model of the world depicted by Arant is factually deficient. I'm saying it lacks in utility rather than accuracy. That, and I disagree with some of the interpretations of the conclusion rather than the reasoning itself. The reason I'm engaging with you is because it makes me worried about you. I wasn't at all advocating over-medication, but rather maybe someone to run ideas by who is trained in seeing how conclusions reached come about so that they could provide some protection from a self-reinforcing cycle of reasoning which can perpetuate and ingrain ideas which lack in utility. And that doesn't have to be a professional, actually. Just someone with the aforementioned skills. How did this get onto depression again? Did I say I was clinically depressed? (laughs) No, that's right. I said something was depressing. These days that tends to have people jump towards a diagnosis of clinical depression. I can see how you got confused by the terms depressing and clinical depression. They are fairly similar. Anyway, Jim, we're both just wasting a lot of breath saying I'm right and you're wrong, so let's each be satisfied with stating that and move on. You didn't say clinical depression, but your rant seemed like the point of view of a depressed man. Actually, isn't it interesting that basically what we're both trying to do is win an argument? I'm saying that we will die and we age and that makes the world bleak. You're saying my worldview is incorrect and that I am perhaps broken and should see a medical health professional in order to come around to your presumably correct, view of the world. So we're each trying to prove that we're right. That is our greatest goal at the moment. And part of your method was to discredit my mental health. But interestingly, another method we both used, and one I was the first to employ, was to feign more affection for you than I felt. I tried to sway you by complimenting you and saying I liked you. You then affected more care and concern for me than you felt. Isn't it interesting that one of the many tactics people use to try and win arguments is to pretend they care more about people than they actually do. They think the declarations of affection will disarm their opponent. They'll try to sway them into agreeing. Basically, they think that complimenting a person will let the complimenter win the argument. I started that, and that was pretty underhanded of me. I'm not even going to take that bait. I suppose with intraspecies confrontation, there are the options for fight, flight, or submit. You're the better arguer because you managed to stay on the fight footing throughout and never got distracted by that. I attempted to kind of distract you from the prey, which is me, or my vulnerable underbelly, by doing a fake submit. But you saw through that and remained on the attack, not forgetting your underbelly goal and not happy until your teeth were firmly lodged in the nethers. It's what I do best. To return to your original argument, you like some socialising DM. I know you do. I've seen you having a blast at the few parties people make the mistake of inviting you to. Yeah, so I was thinking about that. If I go to a party sober, I hate every second. I can't talk to anyone. If I do make the mistake of talking, then there it is. Uh, Need. Too many signals. Uh, Aging. 
If I drink alcohol, I'll have a great time, though. I'm talking to everybody. I'm guessing what they want to hear. I'm even telling them about my great fear, huh? About having failed with my thesis on Dostoevsky's use of prostitutes and attempting now to submit the seventh revised version under the new and more precise title, Dostoevsky's Employment of Ladies of the Night. I'll happily talk about that. I'll even tell them about my horrible job at the university, teaching ESL students to type on English keyboards. I mean, I can't touch type myself. Really, I just give students a book about English keyboards, make sure they don't talk in class and mark their attendance. But still, uni work, being an academic, it pays okay. When drunk at a party, I tell people about my drudgery, all my shameful secrets, like I'm an average Joe. So I was thinking to myself, no, I like socializing, I do. But then I realized, no, no, I'm not having a good time because of the people. All the same games are going on, it's just I'm I'm worse at them, a little deaf to the signals because my senses are dulled. What I like is actually the alcohol. Me at a party is me having a good time with alcohol, not with friends. I don't socialize, I drink. Well, you did do that embarrassing thing at the last party. Ooh, that's right. What embarrassing thing? Well, there was this guy. I knew him as a kid and I hadn't seen him since. He's been working overseas in the US. He tends bars, he's a carpenter. Anyway, he's a really nice guy, good soul. Down to earth, treats everyone the same with respect, he seems happy, he travels, he does what he wants to do, he isn't caught up in the fakery that so many people are caught up in, the false narratives, the TV that's two inches bigger. Which you are clearly caught up in because you worry about them all the time. Yes, anyway, I said to him, you know, dude, some people, they had such potential as kids, they seemed like they were going to be artists, and then they went and worked for a phone company or something, or they got lost in drugs or alcohol, their potential was wasted, they lost touch with themselves... But you, you turned out perfectly. You're happy. You're in touch with your soul. You're living, traveling, doing what you want, what is useful for being truly happy. You are a real person. You turned out well. You turned out exactly as you should have done. Meeting you again after all these years, I'm, I'm really impressed. Well, that sounds nice. A little over-affectionate, but not too bad. He seemed to understand it as such. And then I took two drunken steps away. A thought hit me. And I stopped. I turned. (laughs) Oh, but that wasn't a comment about your job, I said. I wasn't apologizing for your job. What do you mean? Well, because though I still do shifts at the chick-sexing plant, I work at the university too, in equal drudgery. But yes, it's like I'm a white-collar worker, and he's a blue-collar worker. And so it's like I'm saying, oh, you're a carpenter. You work in nature with your hands in the real world. How nice. You are the real Australia. I'm really jealous of you. You know, it's like when you talk too much to a taxi driver or a plumber, like you're trying to be a hero of the common man. So I was saying, oh, that wasn't me condescending. That wasn't me being a white-collar hero of the common man. He probably didn't take it that way. Still, the DM didn't have to mention it. The DM, so awkward, such a DM story. Say something nice and then ruins it. What an awkward and hilarious life you lead, DM. No, but then, afterwards, I thought about it and I realised. I took those two steps. I stopped. I turned around. I made that decision. I made that decision to apologise. To condescend to him. Because I wanted him to know for sure that I was condescending to him. I was drunk and so I couldn't resist that impulse. Sure, I meant the first part. But I also meant the second part. I walked away and I thought, he's happy, he's travelling, I want to be happy. I want to be travelling. 
And I'm stuck here working at a chick sexing plant teaching ESL students how to use an English keyboard, and it's no fault of his, but still I wanted to say, <laughs> I'm a white collar worker. You're a blue collar. Like that means anything. Like having a TV two inches bigger means anything. I wanted to come back and say, <laughs> You know I was condescending to you. <laughs> you weren't smart enough. No, let me correct that. That's not true. I was condescending, and you were too trusting. You expected too much of me, and you didn't notice. You, you didn't know what I'm actually like. I look at myself and I am the kind of person who compliments purely because he thinks it will let him win an argument. Who compliments as a mean of condescending to people as a macho game. I'm the kind of person who can't let a happy person be happy. And can't let a happy person know I respect and admire him. Because after sharing my honest respect and admiration and walking away, I suddenly feel a flash of jealousy and I have to take two steps back and thrust the knife in. This is Patricia Quinn, and I hate role-playing R, because I was nice, and I asked for nothing, and those bastards gave me nothing in abundance. This is J.G. Hertzler. I hate the role-playing R so much that, ah, a true Klingon doesn't speak, he acts. Pass me a batleth, get a batleth in my hands now! Yes, Johnny. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, that's a large batleth you have there. Oh, that's wonderful. DM, there you were talking about reading signals from people, even subtle signals in their eyes, about feeling their needs and sympathising with or at least recognising those needs. If that is true, then how can you be the way you are with me? What do you mean? Look at me as a human being for once, DM. Look into my eyes. Forget yourself and your own body just for a moment. See me as a human being with my own point of view and not as something that only exists from your point of view. Wait a minute. I need to switch off the screen in my brain that sees all women as objects of sexual desire. (gasps) SBJ. Yes. You see? I've been horrible. You must be so afraid, so uncomfortable. It must be so icky being around me. Yes! Yes! Here I am looming over you. You want no sexual advances, no sexuality vibes from me at all, and here I am imposing them. And you have to live with me. Every time I look at you, you would shrink. Every time you think of me, a little part of you would cower. Your skin would crawl. Exactly. Imagine having a man ten years older than you leering at you All the time, always looking at you with untrustworthy eyes and a half smile, knowing that he is just thinking of you as a thing and not a person. Can't he imagine a woman 10 years older who he doesn't find attractive? No, she's right. It has to be a man. The particular penetrative aspect of male desire is part of what is important here. Oh, Wendy, I'm... I'm, I'd say I'm sorry, but that's not even the start of enough. At least it's the start of something. Getting back on the right track. Here I was thinking I was creating entertaining sexual tension, but though there was tension, none of it was pleasant. It was just you tensing up every time you had to think of being in the same room as me. I just want to be able to wear shorts when it's hot. Is that too much to ask? Well, if you wore shorts when it was hot, then the day would be doubly hot. No. No, I have to change my whole way of thinking. You seriously didn't know you were a major creeper like 100% of the time and no women wanted to be near you? In fact, female friends stopped visiting the house because of you. Didn't you know that? 
They also stopped visiting because you said they were only around you because they wanted a gay best friend and you accused them of being fag hags. Oh yeah, there was that. And I don't think either of those things were true. I think you have some issues with women as well, Jim. Shush, DM. It's not my problems we're talking about, it's yours. Today, it's like my problems don't exist. And tomorrow... When will we get to your problems? After we finish solving yours, so in about a hundred years. In the meantime, it's like my problems don't exist. Problems. That will be my legacy, won't it? Sexism and misogyny. That will be all I leave behind. Don't forget sophomoric humour. Oh yeah, there's that. DM, the sexist creeper. And even when he tried to talk about issues, it just sounded like the awkward apologetic rantings of an out-of-touch old man or an accidentally racist grandmother. I mean... What do we do as men? Men have this constant sexual desire, this constant reproductive urge right up until the moment we die. What do we do? See everyone around you as people with feelings and fears and hopes and dreams rather than just as things. That'd be a start. No, but I mean, even when you do as a man, it's so easy to trick yourself. The hormones rise up, you say something stupid, you give a look without thinking. That's not for me to work out, DM. That's for you to work out. Women get menopause, at least that slows them down, stops them from just increasing in creepiness with age, stops them from becoming sexual omnivores simply because they're so starved they'd have sex with anything. Perversities worm their way in. You can say, oh, woe is man, as much as you like. But I'm sorry, the problem is still yours to solve. I just want to feel safe and not threatened. And if I put on a t-shirt when it's 35 degrees outside, I don't want to have to feel like that makes me your mental real doll. Love and sex and the way I feel about my body are confusing enough without that. I'm starting to feel like, should men just volunteer to be castrated at 26? I mean, after 26, we're not going to be using those things much anyway, right? Our time is up. After 26, we're just like brains in jars, slowly pickling. Even if we do have sex after 26, it's not like the people we're doing it with are enjoying it. We're more like a burden to those who would accept us. That sounds like a pretty major operation. Well, maybe chemically castrated, but I'm not sure that works very well. Somehow you'd have to get in and actually switch off the sex part of the brain. Do we really want to change our body chemistry that much? Is that healthy? Well, doesn't testosterone damage us in the long term anyway? We have all these higher risks for these health dangers. Testosterone makes our hair fall out. Maybe it'd be healthier life without sexual desire. And then, sexless, we'd not trouble healthy young women. We'd not trouble healthy young men. We'd not turn into perverse, omnivorous old men due to sexual starvation. No one would have to put up with us perspiring and grunting on top of them. We could switch off sex and devote ourselves to the things we love. Writing, painting, making the world a better place. Also, sperm degrades as people get older. If only the young people were breeding, the human race would be healthier. Women would only be ogled by fit young men. It's still not all good news for them, but it's mildly better. Surely being just a little more conscious of these around you is easier than the worldwide castration and then the rampant ageism. Yeah, way to spit the dummy, DM. Throw the toys out of the pram. You won't let me ogle. Oh, I'll get castrated then. No, no, I'm serious. There really is no use for these things after 26. After 26, our dicks are like chicken that's been in the fridge for four days. It might be okay, but no one really wants to take the risk of putting it inside them, and if they try, they'll always be on the verge of throwing up at the mere thought. Just, I don't know, look at me as an equal human being who will happily be your friend but doesn't want to be your sex fantasy. Isn't that easier? If I stop being sexist, will I be rewarded with sex? No. Uh, That's... 
The whole problem is thinking like that. Look, it would be easier not being sexist if women had names that we could take more seriously. What? It's, uh, it's not your fault. It's the patriarchy forcing those names on you. But a prime minister called Amber, could you really take her entirely seriously? A prime minister called Tanita? Now that is definitely sexist. Yes, but I mean, Helen. Helen is a good, solid, trustworthy name. I could take a prime minister called Helen seriously. It's because you have all these names that end in vowels. It's like Tony Abbott. His name's Tony. It ends in that kind of half-vowel sound. Why? Still sounds like a vowel. So he's always, he always just seems a bit like a joke. I don't think it's because of his name that he seems like a joke. No, but come on. Prime Minister Phoebe? It's too cute. It's too juvenile. Prime Minister Shanna? I trust the Prime Minister Laura. Yeah, me too. I don't know why. I don't know why that vowel sound is okay. Maybe it's because it's like the word law is in the name. Catherine, I'd trust the Prime Minister Catherine, hmm. Esther, not a Sally, not a Sally. Prime Minister Joan would be okay. Guys. Wendy is not so bad. Maybe it's because I picture it written and the jaggedness of the W makes it somehow aggressive. Basically, you women just need consistently less silly names. Jeez, guys. I'm starting to agree with him. This is John Leeson. And I hate the role-playing hour because if there's a bit of gaffer tape on the floor, it gets stuck. And then the guy with the remote control has to go in and push it. And when it gets too close to the cameras, they go fuzzy. And one time, one time, you know, it stopped moving completely and smoke started coming out. Look, there must be an easier way of entertaining people, really. This is Jonathan Frakes, and I hate the role-playing hour so much that whenever I hear it, I want to eject my warp core. I was thinking about people caring. People who care about issues and talk about them a lot always seem so insincere to me. War, refugees, feminism, political policies, a public figure, a TV show, or a book that says something that's politically incorrect. OMG! Perhaps it's that being upset by everything, being outraged by everything, it lacks perspective. A person is being unconsciously emotional, and that's vulgar, right, among adults. People will say, I can't believe no one cares about this bad thing that's happening in the world. I can't believe that people focus on silly TV shows and their own silly lives and bad things are happening out there to people far away. The thing is, I mean, think of a garden. A green, lush garden. Imagine you're sitting in that garden. The sun is shining, but it's not too bright. Perfect weather. It's quiet. The birds are softly twittering. It's wonderful, right? Isn't that a relaxed image? Wouldn't many of us imagine that as a very calming place to be? But in that garden, the struggle for life and death is happening all around you. Caterpillars are thrashing around because they're being eaten alive by ants. Birds are snapping terrified insects out of the air, worried themselves that they and their young are to be snatched by cats. Creatures are falling out of nests and dying while still eggs or while waiting to pupate into maturity. In every patch of grass, things are suffering and dying and trying so hard to live, they're wishing that someone would help them. But because of millions of years of evolution, none of these threats affect us, human beings. We're comfortable. Our reward for getting to the top of the food chain is that we can sit right in the middle of the daily battle for life and death and find it relaxing. We earned the right not to care. And it was hard-earned. Our ancestors struggled for that since the dawn of time. Now, for most of us, life is not just a daily battle to survive. We're the only creatures on Earth that get to not care. So can I just respect what those ancestors strove for? Can I just not care? Lives are being snuffed out all around me every day. I don't even notice. It doesn't bother me at all. I'm above it. So why must I care about death and suffering half the world away? Why is it a requirement? Nature is an engine feeding on suffering. Life, for almost all of time, was suffering and only suffering. It's only now, since human civilization advanced enough, that life has allowed the leisure of encompassing anything beyond suffering. 
The greatest testament to the human achievement is that most of us every day have the luxury of not being forced to care, not having to look over our shoulders, not to have to scream in tune with the savage beat of life everywhere else in the universe. Peace doesn't exist. It never existed except for now. We're some of the first to enjoy it ever, and enjoy it we shall. Wow, that is supremely... Is that racist? I can't work out if it's racist. It, it's at least favouring wealthy countries over poor ones, right? No, it's just what beauty not having to care. It's humanity's greatest artwork, our greatest achievement. If you want to be open to the suffering of the world, fine, but you're still picking and choosing your suffering. If you truly opened your being utterly to the world's pain, you couldn't walk a step in any direction. I understand. Bad things are happening. You want other people to be safe. You want other people to have the luxury of not caring. That is the goal, right? Universal not having to care. We could keep talking, DM, but the latest episode of Duckling Force is on. Oh, I haven't seen many episodes since they changed Duckling's partner. Let's watch. Keeping criminals at bay. Solving crimes every day. One is a duckling, the other is a man. And together we make the five-legged bean that is... Vecchio! Duckling! I want you to investigate reports that the mob is shaking people down for protection money on 8th Street. Sure thing, Chief. So, uh, does the duckling follow or do I just pick him up and carry him? Chief? He's your partner. Yeah, but I thought I was supposed to, like... Understand what he was saying, and I would then repeat it. He'd quack, and I'd go, What's that, duckling? You found a clue? Quack. But I mean, I'm not hearing anything, except quacks. Quack, quack. No meaning from that at all. Are you hearing anything? Because I'm just getting quacking sounds. Quack, 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 quack. I thought he was supposed to be one of our greatest police officers. Quack, 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 quack. Everyone said they were they were so jealous I got to partner with the duckling. I guess I'll just pick him up and carry him. See ya, Chief. See ya! Okay then, duckling, we'll just get to the squad car and... Do I put you on phone books or what? I mean, do you legally have to wear a seatbelt? Danny from Evidence said that usually when the squad car went out, you would drive. Was he messing with me? Duckling, it's you. I thought your trash was gone from this place forever. I'm surprised they let scum like you back in the uniform. <coughs> yeah, laugh it up, duckling. I'll wipe that smug smile off your bill someday. Ah, Otego. You know this duckling? Know him. This damn near ruined the force. He's a cowboy. He doesn't play by anyone's rules. And from what I hear, he's a bad boy. <coughs> a bad boy? A crooked cop. He takes bribes. He plants evidence. Internal affairs was onto him. But even they stop sniffing around. Won't go near the duckling now. I don't know what kind of friends you have, duckling, or what pressure they brought to bear, but you're bad news. You drag the name of police in this town through the mud. Really? I'm partnered with a crooked duckling? 
Can you can you understand what he's saying? I wouldn't repeat the filth that comes out of his bill. Call me what you like, duckling. It's a water off a duck's back for me. See ya. You watch yourself, Vecchio. I know Duckling's life looks appealing, all his fast cars and loose women, all his money, but there's something more valuable than money, and that's honesty. Don't fall in with this Duckling. Keep your honesty, Vecchio. Don't let him ruin that. You know that it's sad. This Duckling has ties to Boss Gamboni. Boss Gamboni? Wow, well, listen, that reminds me. I gotta get to 8th Street. Come on, Duckling. So, uh, Miss Ling, you're saying you don't pay protection money? No one has been hassling you, threatening you? Oh no, oh no, the mafia is very nice, very nice. My partner and I can't help you unless... Very nice, very nice. And how about you? You are friend too, yes, a good friend. Would you like some suits from our shop? You can have suits, fee suits, for being a good policeman. Uh, no, I'm I'm an officer of the law. I can't accept gifts. It looked like a bribe. Oh, no, oh, no. It's no bribe. It's just because we are friends, because we understand each other so well. We are all friends, all of us. None of us have any problem. You take suit, you go away and wear it somewhere Far away, you wear it far away. It, it won't get stains or any holes. Uh, thanks for your time, Miss Ling. You know, Duckling, I think Miss Ling just tried to bribe me. I think the mob has his whole neighborhood in its pocket, and now they're trying to pay the cops off, too. Oh, oh Duckling, what? Did you, you, you pooped on the seat. What is wrong with you? Keeping criminals at bay. Being on this stakeout for three days now, I'm still not convinced you're anything more than a regular duck. I mean, they say you're this ace cop, but... I, I don't understand anything you say. Well, anyway, in case you can't understand me, I'm pretty sure that there's something illegal going on there above Mrs. Ling's shop. Lots of known members of the Gamboni gang have been going in and out. You might think that's interesting. That is... That is if you're an actual police officer, not just a regular duckling. What are you... Scratching yourself with your beak? Now you're... Now you're putting your beak under your little wing, now you're... Aw, oh, you look so cute when you sleep. Wait, is that a... Is that a parking inspector? I think it is. Uh, Mr. Sheep, sir, no need for a ticket. That name's Larry the Lamb. This city's top parking inspector. You have been here for more than two hours, and that's bad. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to give you a ticket. No, Larry the Lamb, you don't understand. I'm a police officer. I'm undercover. Here's my badge. Doesn't matter. Just because you are a police officer doesn't mean you're above the law. No, please. You may complain to the city if you like. No one gets past Larry the Lamb, San Francisco's famous sheep parking inspector. Here is your ticket. Fine. God damn, Larry the Lamb. Well, what to do? I feel like I should take a look around. Maybe I'll try to 
peek into whatever is going on above the Ling place. See who's in there. See if I can catch any mobsters red-handed. You just keep on sleeping, duckling. Virgin crime doesn't pay. Listeners, it's Ask the Duckling Anything time. Ask the Duckling Anything by calling in on 8313 or you can write on the Facebook wall. The address is www.facebook.com slash hour. You are listening to Jim, me, Wendy and some other guy here on the Role Playing Hour on Radio Adelaide 1.1. Uh, 101.5 FN. Oh, don't tune into the wrong one. Digital radio and online episodes 1 to 265 can be found at our WordPress site at theroleplayinghour.com.press.wordpress.com. I'll try it again. Theroleplayinghour.wordpress.com. And most of the episodes since then can be found at the Radio Adelaide website itself. But right now, call in or write on the Facebook wall and ask the duckling anything. This is Robert O'Reilly and I hate the role-playing hour. I wish their B.O. and inconsistent hygiene would be banished from this world and into the halls of Stolokar. Oh, go suck the big one. <laughs> this is Lance Hendricks and I hate the role-playing hour because they smell bad and they make my cocker spaniel uncomfortable. So, no one rang in or on the Facebook, well, that's fine, because we have no time anyway. But if you want to subscribe to Radio Adelaide, well, you could go into the draw to win a double pass to the exciting 2015 season of Chamber Music, presented by Selby and Friends. Enjoy five concerts of the year, featuring a brilliant ensemble cast of performers from around the world. If that sounds like your sort of thing, well, if you subscribe, you don't automatically get it. You go in the draw, but the odds are pretty good. That's, you know, a lot better than the lotto. Oh, now someone's calling in. Great. <laughs> Hello? Hello, it's General Flex Factor! Flexy, we don't have much time, so uh, three key questions you'd like to ask the duckling. Why did no one vote for me in that Radio Adelaide survey? <laughs> Second question. Why, how big is the DM's board spot got over the last week? <laughs> On a scale of 1 to 10, rate Jim's beard. Thank you, Flex. Okay, so there we go. And to subscribe, dial 8313 during business hours. We'll be right back with you after this musical break. This is Jewel Estate, and I hate the role-playing hour because they remind me too much of that hitchhiker I killed and buried beneath the floorboards. Even when I cover my ears, I can still hear that heart beating. <laughs> oh, my God, I can't do that. <laughs> my name is Freddie Williams II, and I hate the role-playing hour because they turned me into a juvenile delinquent. I can see through the blinds there. That looks like high-stakes poker. And Miss Ling sure as heck don't have a gambling license. This looks like one of Gamboni's operations. Hey, what are you doing sneaking around out there? Oh, uh... Hey, you're a cop, ain't you? Ah, well, that is... You're partnered with the duckling. Hey, that's okay. Come on in. Uh, thanks. A friend of the duckling? Is always welcome at one hour joints, ain't that right, boss Gamboni? That's right, Dottorio. Whoa, I didn't expect to see him here. So you recognize the players here then? Sure, they're all heavy hitters. Why, he's the biggest mobster on the west side, Boss Gamboni himself. Hey, mob, mob, I'm a friend of the union. We're in a union, not a mob. <laughs> and that's Zip Penguini, the murderous penguin who controls the docks with an iron flipper. <laughs> 
No thanks, Penguini. I don't want any cheap stereos. And that's Teddy the Dolphin, Mob Enforcer. They say that if you cross Teddy, he'll give you a second blowhole. So, what's the name? It's Vecchio, right? You wanna join at the game, Vecchio? The seats just opened up. One of my boys had to leave because the lava lounge is about to burn down. It's a pity. I really like that joint, but I've been hearing he's been having some financial troubles and the insurance is worth a lot of money. Come on, take a spot. No thanks, Gamboni. Besides, these stakes look too high for me. Hey, don't worry about it. We like to let new guys learn to love the game. About 5,000? That'll be enough for you to buy in there. Torio, give him the cash so he can buy in. Oh, no thanks, Gamboni. I understand. You gotta get back to your wife and kids. Lovely blonde hair your wife has. Lovely two little girls you have. What are they? Six and eight? And Torio, give him 5,000 anyway in case he wants to come back and play another time. No thanks, Gamboni. Buy something nice for those kids of yours. They deserve it. No. Okay, I understand. You'd rather sit in that car across the street all day with your duckling pal. You go do that. That doesn't seem like any way to live to me, but to each his own. Be seeing you, Gamboni. What's that? I'd better watch myself? It means watch the steps. They can be steep on the way down. Don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. No need, Teddy, no need. It's no problem. It's no problem at all. You're so bloodthirsty. The man's got a wife and kids. He'll come round. Keeping criminals at bay. I don't know if those quacks of yours mean anything, but if you're asking why I'm peeking out the blinds in my office, I'm just, well, I'm a bit paranoid I might be being followed. Gamboni's man. But you wouldn't know anything about that, would you, duckling? Oh, what are you... Don't eat my paper clips! They're not food! Duckling! How are my two best police officers? How's the case going? Hey, chief. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah. Cigars, they're good for a chief. Oh, you too, duckling. <laughs> you too. Well, chief, this case is certainly throwing up some interesting connections. For example, we thought there was tension between Zip Penguini at the docks and Boss Gamboni, but... Great, great. This package arrived for you, Vecchio. I was on my way, so I thought I'd bring it on over. Well, I just wanted to let you know that you have my backing, my two top cops. You got my full confidence, Pa Vecchio. A package? But... Brown cardboard, all taped up, no return address. Could this be... What are you telling me, Duckling? Are you telling me to open it, not to open it? I just don't understand. It could be anything. It could be a bomb. Should I... I have no idea what you're saying, but I'm opening it. I imagine you're encouraging me to open it. Your quacks sound enthusiastic. I'm... I'm... I'm going to open it. I'm opening it. I'm opening it. Stop eating my paper clips. I'm opening it. It's it's gold watches. Five of them and a note. It says, "We know a friend we can rely on. A friend who has all the time in the world. Poker face, my friend. Poker face." And it's signed G. No, I'm not accepting these. I'm not accepting them. I'm giving them to evidence.
Proving crime doesn't pay. Just gotta go through this dimly lit parking garage to get to our undercover car, duckling. No, this way. I have to carry you every time, don't I, duckling? Wait, is that... Must be nothing. Who's there? Is anyone there? I know you're there. I can hear you. I'm an armed police officer. Hello? Anyway, Duckling, here's the car. You get in and... Wait, I'll check for... I'll check for... Is that... Is that something under the car? Duckling, it could be a bomb. Hello? Duckling, can you get under there and... Duckling, don't wander off. Stop nibbling my shoelaces with your cute little bill. I need to check if this is a... Duckling, it's not a bomb. It's just an empty box. Must have blown under here. Vecchio. Oh, dude, don't sneak up on me like that when my head is under my car. You're Vecchio, right? The cop. Wife, two daughters. Yeah, what's it to you? Who's there with you? Is there someone else in this parking garage with you? Vecchio! Duckling, back me up. <laughs> No, duckling, don't wander off and don't poo on the concrete. Heck yeah. I hear you don't want to get with the program. That's too bad. I won't be intimidated by you. Intimidated? Hey, I just wanted to offer you a little incentive. Incentive? No one says no to my incentives. Your violence won't cow me. Violence? Who said anything about violence? Here's 15 grand. You take it and Boss Gamboni knows we're all good friends. You can see me again if you want. You can see the boss again if you want. But if you don't want to, you never have to see either of us again. The important thing is you take the gift. So we all know we're friends. Friends don't hurt friends, right? Friends look out for each other. And friends certainly don't hurt friends' wives and their pretty little kids. Oh, fine, whatever. I'm sick of constantly looking over my shoulder. I haven't slept in weeks. And with this partner who won't even talk, he's probably just a duckling and doesn't even know what's going on in the world. And if he does, well, they say he's already crooked and in Gamboni's pocket. So he most likely wants me to sign up with you guys. Fine, I'll take the 15 grand. Just leave me alone. <laughs> What's that, Duckling? I'm under arrest? That's right, Vecchio. Internal affairs, and we've just caught you taking the bribe. That's true, Duckling, and we just got evidence of Boss Gamboni trying to bribe a police officer. You're all going down. But... But you said the duckling was... You said he was a cowboy. All up front. The duckling was undercover. We wanted San Francisco's top cop on the special operation for eternal affairs. I agree, duckling. If there's one thing I hate, it's a crooked cop. But... Gambodia's men in prison, Vecchio. You hear me? Your dad, you hear me? Dad, you wife and kids, they're dead. But... Nice job, duckling. High five. Well, that's it. More criminals off the street of San Francisco, and it's all thanks 
to the duckling force. Wah, wah, wah. Proving crime doesn't pay. Flapping into the frame. One has one hole for its pee, poo, and sex. The other has more holes, but hasn't used them all yet. Let's go get those criminals, duckling. Great episode. Well, I'm going to bed. Me too. Wait, but I was ranting before. I had a crisis. We established I was a terrible person. I was prejudiced. I was petty. I was condescending. I was narcissistic. I was sexist. And then we just watched Duckling Force? Yeah, so? So, what's the solution to my problem? Solution? Yeah, how do I self-improve? DM, we all know you're never going to self-improve. You're just going to stay a crap person forever. DM, you always go on and on about your physical ugliness. You have a bald spot, you have a paunch. But the fact is, guys with bald spots, guys with paunches, they still have friends. The reason you don't have friends isn't because you're externally repulsive, it's because you're repulsive on the inside. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.